All right, raise your hand if you still need um, the sheets for this evening. Awesome. All right. Um, here's what we're going to do. What I want to do first is pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Um, tonight is a little different from what we've been doing. There's a bit of a transition happening this week. Um, the first few weeks of our time together, we were really just looking at the Scriptures and, and from the Old Testament and on into the New Testament and trying to understand together um, what, what does the Bible say? What is God saying as he reveals himself about his heart for his people and how we engage with one another um, and focusing particularly on those who find themselves in some form of poverty? Now, in the first week, Robbie kind of blitzkrieged through um, a brief definition of, of that, of poverty and some of the ways in which we can understand it. Um, and so tonight, we're making a transition. There's going to be a few more weeks of more talking from the front. We have not had that up to this point. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to share, Robbie's going to share. So there's going to be a little bit more teaching and unpacking some of the truths that we've talked about from the scriptures. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the time tonight, and we do ask that you would be present with us Um, that as we talk together and think and listen to stories, that you will ignite in our own hearts a love for what you love, and that you would break our hearts for the things that break your heart, um, and that we would look to Jesus, who is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and the one who is reconciling all things by the blood of the cross. So we, we ask that you would do that in his name. Amen. Okay, so Robbie, um, last fall, as we were thinking about this class, mentioned to me offhandedly, uh, hey, it would be really cool if you just shared your story for one of these weeks. And I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. And then a month ago, Robbie reminded me that we were doing that. Um, And so I've just been thinking about how to frame this over the, the course of the past four weeks and, and unite it with what it is that we're trying to do. Um, so I'm going to tell you some of my story, uh, some of the things that the Lord has done in my life and the ways in which he's opened my eyes. So one of the themes for what I want to share, hey, Robbie, the vo- I don't know, is the reverb bad for you guys? Feels loud to me. <clears throat> I don't need any help. <clears throat> uh, um, but so one of the things that I wanted to do is just try to help connect some of the things that have happened in my own life to what we're, what we're talking and sharing about in this class, and maybe give you all a vision of, of what could be possible in the church. And um, really, the ultimate goal that I want us to think the question is, why church-based poverty alleviation? So that's kind of the overarching question that's going to ride through this whole thing. Um, and hopefully, by the time we get to the end of my my sharing about my story and some maybe of the history of this, this topic, uh, we might be able to provide an answer, even if it's a vague one and a loose one, but that's the goal. Um, okay, so the way in which I want to tell some of my story is thinking about seeing. So um, there's three parts to this because I'm a good Presbyterian. We like three things. So three points, three parts. 
to this, uh, of my story. Um, and the first part is, um, I want to use the word looking. So growing up, I grew up in Northwest Georgia, right underneath Chattanooga. So anytime people ask me where I'm from, I just say Chattanooga because trying to explain Chickamauga or Fort Oglethorpe just, just takes too long. Um, so that's where I grew up and I grew up on a farm and it was a beautiful place. And in the, in the immediate time of my childhood, I didn't understand what poverty was, but I knew in comparison to most of the people that I spent time with, I didn't have quite as much as they had. Um, so I just knew that I knew there was a gap between what I had and what they had. And so from early on, I had a sense of looking for something better than what I had. And so as I grew up and went into middle school and to high school, I felt that gap even, even bigger. You know, high schoolers tend to feel that gap. And so I began looking for what can I do in college that would get me more money than what my parents have. That was my outlook on life. My outlook on life was I want more than what they have and then maybe some more on top of that. Because then I thought my life would be better, be easier, it would be more fun, I would be able, you know, the classic things that any high schooler is thinking about. Um, that's what I was thinking about. And so my understand, I thought that I was poor. I thought that we were poor. And I didn't really know what true poverty was. I just thought that that's what we were. Um, so I was looking. I was looking for something that was better than what they had. And so in high school, I think most of you have done this where you are going through like a job fair or you do some kind of job questionnaire, like what would I be good at? Here are my, what are my gifts? And I'd never thought about having gifts before. So what are my gifts and what jobs would I be suited for? And I like math. So did the math section and, you know, engineer. And I was like, well, that sounds interesting. I'll do, I'll be an engineer. Now, you know, starting salary off to the side of the engineer. And it was six numbers. I was like, I like that. I want the six numbers. It's more than the five numbers. So I'm going to go with six. Like I said, I like math. So I knew six numbers was better than five. So engineer. So I went through in high school, and I went through drafting classes, and I was really excited about being an engineer, um, mainly because I thought that it would move me out of the situation that I grew up in. And so I also was playing soccer at the time, and those two things kind of collided, and I thought I wanted to be an engineer more than I wanted to play soccer, so I applied to go to Georgia Tech, got in, that's where I was going, but then soccer and my love for that overwhelmed me, and my club soccer coach suggested, hey, you should look at Covenant College. And I was like, excuse me, what? He was like, Covenant College. And I was like, where is that? He was like, it's up there. Like, you can see it from where we're standing. And I was like, I've never heard of this place in my entire life because, like many of you, I grew up Baptist. I was, I was, a, I was a good Baptist. I had no idea what Covenant College was. Um, and he was like, you should check it out. And they have a program for engineering. So um, I began looking. I was looking at Covenant, and it ticked the boxes. I got to play soccer and keep worshiping that idol, I got to go to a 3-2 program that was connected to Georgia Tech that would get me lots. It was a dual degree. So that starting salary, six numbers were bigger numbers. Tick that box. And I was like, this is it. This is the track. This is the track to move me into not being poor. Um, so I was looking. 
Covenant College, I'm moving into the second, the second section of, of this story. I am forever and deeply indebted to Covenant College. That place wrecked me and, by God's grace, transformed me um, and totally upended my worldview. So I'm eternally thankful for Covenant. Um, I'm going to try to read these uh, scriptures. You have Colossians 1.20 on uh, the first page, but I'm going to read a few more verses. So at the entrance of Covenant College, it has um, the last words of Colossians 1.18, Christ preeminent in all things, or in all things Christ preeminent. Uh, right there on the front entrance, it's woven throughout um, all of Covenant College's curriculum. Everything that they do has that at the center. Jesus is foremost. He is the preeminent one in all things. And sometimes in my own experience, I situated spiritual things and secular things, and I followed that false dichotomy. So I was like, yes, Jesus is, is the best of all spiritual things. And I had no way of understanding how those spiritual things and secular things overlapped. And so you get to covenant, and pretty much on day one, they just read to you from Colossians. So Colossians 1.15 um, and following, talking about Jesus the King. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So I get to covenant, and I'm, I'm just pressed with this image of Jesus as the reconciler of all things. And at, during my time at covenant, I did the engineering program. I finished the three years and realized I am not suited for this line of work. I have got way too much energy for this line of work. I love my engineering friends, brothers and sisters, and we're just cut from slightly different cloths. Um, so I, at the end of my junior year, I changed my major. Don't recommend that. Uh, do, not, do not tell your college-age children to do that. Um, but I was able to finish in four years. I took 21 hours both of my last two semesters, which is what every senior's dream is, <laughs> to take 21 hours of math and economics classes to finish in four years. Loved it. But I actually did love it because I was diving deep into community development. Um, and this is a major that Covenant College has um, where they focus in on what does it look like to bring gospel wholeness, shalom, into places where it doesn't exist. That was, I think, honestly, almost verbatim, the, one of the first sentences that I ever heard Dr. Fickert, Brian Fickert, who's one of the professors at Covenant, 
say, and I'm not going to lie to you, Baptist background, remember, I was like, I don't know what any of those words are. I know gospel. Because as I think back on my story, I was saved while I was at Covenant College my sophomore year. So now my senior year, I'm like, okay, I know what gospel is. Shalom, wholeness, your place, all foreign concepts to me. And so I was, I'd moved from my looking phase, and now at Covenant, I was starting to see. I was, I was seeing what actually was real in the world. So through those classes, and you have some graphics here, they're not page numbers, but over on the side, through those classes, I started to understand what actual poverty was. I think for many of us, if we gave a base definition, we would go straight to the material poverty route when, when defining poverty. Poverty is lack of resources. And then we might add on or tack on some other things that go with poverty. But ultimately, if we boiled it down to a sentence, we'd be like, those who have not enough money to survive. And absolutely 100%, that is an aspect of poverty. But in those classes with Dr. Fickert and Wesher and Corbett and others, they, they helped me back up to Genesis, to, to Genesis 2 and 3, and to recognize that actually poverty extends to the entire brokenness that is existing in creation. At the fall, sin entered the world, and when sin entered the world, it didn't just break our relationship with God, though that is absolutely primary. Sin wrecked our relationship with God as humans. It marred the image. It didn't destroy it, but it marred the image of God, and it broke our relationship with him. But if you read Genesis 3 and the curses that God levies, you see that actually sin destroys all aspects of our relationships. It breaks our relationship with ourself. We can no longer trust ourselves because we're demanded to worship ourselves. We are our biggest idol. We think that we're God. And so it wrecks our relationship with ourselves. It also wrecks our relationship with others. Just read what Adam and Eve did when they knew that they were in sin. Remember, God comes to Adam. He's like, Adam, what happened? What did Adam say? This woman that you gave me, that you gave me, in two sentences, Adam blamed God and Eve. <clears throat> I do that pretty regularly. <clears throat> um, that's, it wrecks our relationship with, with other people. We see that in our families, broken relationships. But, if, I mean, you see that in colleges, broken relationships with, with friends. And, I mean, things can get wrecked in a night. You see that inside the church, destroyed relationships because of gossip and slander and various other things. This is what we do. We love to destroy relationships with other people, even though we say we don't. But also, and this is the one that I think kept, I, I completely missed my entire life. Sin destroyed our relationship with creation. God actually, in levying the curses on Adam and Eve and the serpent, within that says that the earth is now in a state of groaning. You and the earth are not suited well for one another right now. You're not in reconciled relationship. And so all of humanity in some capacity does not work well with the created world. If there's ever been a time in your life when your job stunk or when you just could not understand how this work was good, or if you've ever had a yard to mow, you understand 
that our relationship with the created world does not work. It's in dissonance. And that's why I love these little lines. It's not that it's destroyed. It's just there's dissonance. Have you ever heard when instruments are not quite in sync, that sound that they make? That's, that's what is happening in our relationships. So I was seeing this in theory in a classroom. And covenant helped transform my worldview that actually what I experienced in my life, I was not poor materially compared to 99% of the world. In fact, I was wealthy <clears throat> compared to 99% of the world. Um, but what I was, I was actually poor in lots of other ways. I'm still deeply poor in my relationship with God, my relationship with myself and others and creation. And I'm, by God's grace, continuing to grow out of that poverty into wealth in Christ because we have all that we would ever need in Christ. But those relationships still, because of sin, find dissonance. So I was seeing all of this happening um, in a book, in textbooks and in conversations and in little excursions. Um, And then when Liz and I graduated, three weeks later, we got married. So we were 22, uh, knew everything, um, had it all figured out. We were um, pros, I would say, at life and at marriage and at work. So um, after graduating, I decided that I would be really good at commercial real estate. Do we have any commercial realtors in the room? Yeah, I wasn't good at it. I was not good at it. I, we call that my glorified internship. In two years, I think I made less than $100. Uh, I did a, lot of, did a lot of leases, and like literally four years after moving away from Chattanooga, I got a check in the mail for $17 for a lease deal that I had done four years previously. So all that to say, I wasn't very good at it. Um, but at the same time, Lord, the Lord graciously brought me into contact with someone that Robbie knows well. His name was Hal Bowling, and he started this group called Launch Chattanooga. And for the first time working with Hal, I started to perceive how these broken relationships actually work out in the world. See, I had lived in you know, a beautiful place, a horse farm. That's where I grew up. Not that kind of horse farm. Um, it was it was show horses and stuff like that. Um, then I went up to Lookout and lived on Lookout Mountain, Chattanooga, Covenant College. It's kind of nice. Um, but then I went into Alton Park, and I went into Highland Park in Chattanooga, and I went into where Tyner Academy is in another part of Chattanooga. And then I started to see what actual broken relationships look like on a really deep level. And it was cliche to say, but I mean, it was eye-opening in every sense of the term. For the first time, I understood what real poverty was, and not just material poverty. I saw what, what true broken relationship with creation looked like because there were no, there were no jobs. There were no, no, no ability to find work. I saw what broken relationships with others looked like really in, in really dis, disharmonious situations, broken families for generations, right? Broken, broken sibling relationships, broken community relationships where no one would want to pull in the same direction. And it was eye-opening. It was truly eye-opening. 
And so I got to work with, with Hal, and in launch, what we did was we got to teach business and entrepreneurship in inner-city neighborhoods to, to folks who knew those neighborhoods better than we ever will. A lot of times, we think that we can go in and we say, here's how you do it, now do that. And it doesn't know the context, it doesn't know the people, it doesn't really know anything about their situation, and after a couple of years of pumping money into this thing, it falls apart. And why? It's because no one spent any time getting to know the context or the relationships or who's there and what gifts they have and what assets they bring to the table. We just said, here, do this. It works over here in this part of Chattanooga. It should work here, but it doesn't. And so what we did was we went to these neighborhoods and we invited people to our business training classes and to our entrepreneurship course. And we said, tell us about your context. Tell us what the primary problems are in your place. And then let's have a conversation that you lead on what you think would be best helpful. What kind of business would be best helpful for your place to bring real flourishing, to bring real healing to your community and these relationships? And it was amazing. So after 10 weeks, we would move them from they have zero business background to pitching a business with a full business plan and business model to angel investors where there was real money on the table and they, there was a real winner that was getting investment and accounting help and law, legal help. And it was awesome to see these folks walk through and then to start asking themselves really beautiful questions about how does Jesus... And my love for him affect the way in which I work and I live and I interact with all of these people in my community. This is not a transactional place. Like, we actually have to do this together. It was really amazing. My favorite part of the whole thing was actually going into the local high schools, and I got to teach entrepreneurship to high school students for two years. Now, you might be asking, Josh, you just said you were terrible at commercial real estate, which is super entrepreneurial. And you're right. I went in that room and I knew nothing. I knew about as much as the 17-year-old kids that I was teaching, but they ate it up. To watch these kids, and they, had to, they were just placed into my class. They didn't choose it, <laughs> uh, which is the best part. And so to see them go through a whole semester where we did the same practice, the same curriculum, and just asking them questions like, what, what is it? What's hardest about being in school here? What's hardest about your community? And what, what could you do? What do you bring to the table? What, what are you good at? What do you see that would be helpful? And to watch them come up with business ideas and work together and see people start to bring business ideas together to create a slightly bigger model and to see them start to think creatively and to think differently, it was awesome because I would have never come up with anything that they came up with because I don't know the context. I don't know the people. So I started to see really, really amazing healing come um, into those places just because people uh, you know, and even kids started to catch a vision for their place. I want to be here and make this place better because the American dream, I, all of us have a vague notion of what that is, um, and Alton, Pastor Alton was talking about this the other day. I mean, the American dream for a lot of those who live in poverty, material poverty, in inner city context is get education, leave this place, and go to that place where it's easier. 
And the gospel says, no, what we want to do is we want to go to hard places and make those places of human flourishing. And we need you there because you know this place better than anybody. You've been here. You've lived here. You know it. And so to see that kind of mindset start to take shape was amazing. Okay. It's already 645. So I'm going to wrap this up. Um, The last part of my story, after that time in Chattanooga, we got the opportunity to go to Peru and to um, do some really intense and intentional economic development in the third world. Again, I thought I was poor growing up. There was a gap between me and my friends on what we had. You know, they, they wore Hollister and I had to wear American Eagle. Like that was, you know what I mean? Um, and then I moved to Trujillo, Peru, and I worked for three years in the outskirts of Trujillo, and I saw what poverty really was, material poverty. I saw what it was, and it broke my heart. There are billions of people who live with holes in their roof, dirt floors. It's a one-room space. They will work that day to hopefully earn a little bit of money to buy food for their kids that night. Maybe they've got clothes, one pair of shoes, one set of clothes that they'll wash that night. The mom, because most of the dads are not present, will wash that night. And then between two and five, she'll sleep and then get up again to go and work every day, seven days a week. So I saw what it was like, and the Lord broke my heart for it. And um, it was amazing. Now, here's what here, I want to bring it all together because the, the big major question was this. Why church-based poverty alleviation? After three years of doing micro-lending and loaning little bits of money and teaching business and, and thinking back over my time in Chattanooga, all of those things were helpful. But the primary thing that people need, that we all need, is fellowship with God's people in the context of the church. This is the church's work. Why? Because the church isn't just an institution. The church is made up of people, right? We are the church. We are God's people. And this is our work in our places to help others see human flourishing in their places. So in Peru, everything that we did was connected to the church. We had savings groups in the church. The elders were connected to all of our clients, and they would go and they would visit them, our deacons. And when I say elders and deacons, we had three elders and two deacons. So they would go and they would visit 200 ladies and their families regularly. That was their work because they believed in these people and they believed in the place. So the church, the men of the church would go and they would visit these families in the market or in their home, and they cared about this place And I want to be honest with you, they're still poor. They're still materially poor, but they are intimately connected to the life of the church. They understand what it means to give and to receive at the hands of the church, and they're growing in their faith as simple as it is. So are they poor? I guess is a better question to ask. Are they really poor? Um, Okay. That's, that's a little bit of my story. There's lots more um, that I could share, but for our context, that's it. Um, one last thing I wanted to do, um, and, I, and I'm happy to answer questions, but I wanted to make you aware of someone who is near and dear to my heart. So it's a man named Thomas Chalmers. 
Thomas Chalmers was a pastor, theologian, a professor. He graduated from St. Andrews in Scotland at the age of 15, and then again at the age of 18 with a degree in mathematics and then theology. So, um, yeah, he's a brilliant man, but what he cared most about, um, as you read about his life, after a conversion when he was about 31, um, he cared about himself before that. Uh, it takes one to know one. Uh, but after he was saved, he started to see how the church can and should be the center of caring for the community and of true poverty alleviation. If, if, he, if you want to see people move out of material poverty, there must be a vibrant church there where it won't happen. So I, I highly recommend Thomas Chalmers. This is a little, a little biography here. You can come up and look at it, take a picture. Um, maybe we can send a link out or something. Um, it's a great, a great book. Um, so wanted to make you aware of that. That's it. Any, any thoughts, questions? I'm, I'm an open book. <clears throat> Okay, I just told you a lot of stuff, and what I hope is, throughout what you've heard, you'll get a sense of the fact that the church, us, have been particularly equipped to do this work. Nonprofits are awesome, and they're doing really strategic work and partnerships for particular areas of brokenness. But the church is where they can come and get a comprehensive understanding of how, yeah, I might, be, I might move out of material poverty into and cross the line, but if I'm still in unreconciled relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm, I'm as poor and maybe even worse off than I was before. So the church must be, must be central in, into our efforts um, which is why we're here. This is why we're doing this. Y'all, as called officers, as deacons, um, and as members of our church who care, you're, you're already sensing that, that this is a, something that we're to be about. Um, so I commend you. You're here. Keep after it. Keep your heart vibrating to you know the beat of Jesus's tune of caring for his people in every kind of way. Um, okay, now time to meet with your team, 6.50. Um, Team breakout, so let's see, the Hogwarts are over here, so team one, you're already situated over here. Team Urban Hope, team two, they'll go to that back corner. Um, where's Samuel? Samuel, you're, you're leading team four, right? He's holding the baby, so he gets to sit down. Team four, coming up here to this corner, and then Katie with team three are going out to the commons. <clears throat> And I'm here. If y'all have questions or want, want to know more, please ask. Love to answer them.